Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, we'll be looking uh, the next this Sunday and next Sunday, events in the same room, but a week apart. This is the night in which Jesus appeared to his disciples on Resurrection Day, and next week we'll be looking in the Gospel of John, which was kind of uh, tricky when you preach a sermon on a passage the pastor of the church just preached on not too long ago for Easter. <laughs> but um, the, uh, we meet Thomas in the same room one week later. But let us turn now our attention to Luke chapter 24, begin at verse 36. As I read, keep in mind, this is God's word and God's truth. As they were talking about these things, Jesus stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending you the promise of my father, upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Let's pray. Our God and Father, as we come to hear and open your word, we ask for your spirit's blessing and guidance. Take, Lord, this your servant and bring your truth to bear. May the words I speak and share with the congregation this morning be your truth, not my ideas. And may your spirit bring your truth to bear in our hearts, to grow us in grace and understanding. We wait upon you now, our Lord, our Savior, to feed us, grow us, and mature us in our faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone. For we ask this in his name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it's good to be back here in South San Francisco and seeing dear friends and uh, what a blessing to uh, renew friendships. It's always a wonderful, wonderful thing to do. Balenga Kelala was a Congo refugee. He lived in the suburbs of Sydney, Australia. He had fled the Congo due to persecution and had, had settled into a home and a simple life for himself there in Sydney. He was married to Noila, a, a resident of Burundi, another African country. Uh, they had a simple life, but a good life together. And Noella had gotten word that her mother had passed away. 
They weren't that wealthy, uh, Balanga and his wife, but they scratched together their pennies so Noila could fly home for her mother's funeral. While she was gone, Balanga communicated to his friends he had gotten word that his wife had passed away in Africa. And they were so poor, there was no way they could bring her body home. His neighbors and friends in the African community were very supportive. In fact, they even arranged a memorial service for his wife, which he attended. After the service, Balenga was, was leaving and getting in his car. And as he opened the door, he looked over the hood. And there in front of him stood Noila. He was perplexed. Perplexed? No, he was, he was basically terrified. <laughs> she was supposed to be dead. Is it my eyes? Am I seeing a ghost, he said. He walked around the door and slowly walked towards the body there in front of his car, the person standing, and, and touched her shoulder and, and jumped. Noella, is that you? I'm so sorry. Now, those of you who know the famous radio commentator Paul Harvey know the rest of the story. Belenga, when his wife had left for Boande, had enough with his wife. So he contacted some hitmen that he had gotten connections with and asked them to kill his wife while she was in Africa. He assumed that that had taken place. But the assassin, uh, when he saw it was a woman, couldn't do it because he didn't kill women. So he called Balanga and said, she's dead, send a check, which he did, and left Noella penniless on the street. In time, she made her, made her way back to Australia uh, through help of people and, and, and un, people she had never met before, and a, a priest uh, helped her to get there. And there she stood right in front of her husband. What would it be like to see a person who died be brought back to life? Now, obviously, Noella was not brought back to life. She never died, but he, and Bolinga definitely thought she was. What would it be like? What was it like to the disciples to see Jesus Christ alive again? There's an outline to my, my sermon here this morning. I'll, I'll be touching three main points. First of all, the reality of the resurrection. We'll be talking about that first. And then the reason for the resurrection, why the resurrection, and then thirdly, some application, the ramifications of the resurrection. First of all, the reality of the resurrection. Jesus has already appeared to a number of people prior to these verses we read this morning in verse 36 and following. He appeared to Mary Magdalene in John chapter 20. Matthew 28 tells us he appeared to a group of women at the gravesite as well. Then the meeting, which I find most mysterious, yet heartwarming, yet I wished I knew what they talked about, the appearance to Peter, Luke 24, and also referenced in 1 Corinthians 15. And then just before the events we have read here this morning, Jesus appeared to Cleopas and his friend. Is it his wife or a, a, a fellow traveler? We don't not told. And how Jesus appeared to them on the road to Emmaus. Now we come to the text that we are studying today. It's Sunday evening. It's been hours since the women found the grave empty and Peter and John had run and seen the empty tomb. 
Uh, Cleopas has just come back with his friend, uh, and they're sharing what has happened to them in the previous verses here, uh, in verses 30 through 35, and, and all, all the events that had occurred there. Uh, they had just run seven miles. I, don't know, I forget how long a marathon is, but these men had walked all the way to Emmaus that day, and now they ran all the way back, and it was in the dark, no less. Shows their enthusiasm, their excitement. Then suddenly, as they were talking about these things, Jesus stood in their midst or amongst them. We're not told how he got into the room. The text tells us that in John, in the parallel text, that the, 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 the door was locked because the disciples were concerned that if they, if they killed Jesus, maybe they want to wipe out the whole bunch. So they were hiding. How did Jesus enter the room? Did he walk through the wall? Did he uh, uh, suddenly appear in the room? Uh, or did he cut, walk through the door? Uh, there's passages such as Peter coming out of prison where he just opened the prison gate and it opened. But we're not told, and just as well. It's the power of God. But the amazing thing is, here's Jesus amongst them. And he says, peace be with you. That's, that's a statement you would say to, to, to bring comfort to someone. The disciples' eyes are bulging out of their heads. They're startled. The root word here in the Greek means to flutter about. It's the idea of, of, of startling a bird in a room, and it starts flying all over the place, and it doesn't know where to go. It just wants to get away. They're frightened. The root word here is phobos. It's fear. They're gripped with fear. They're shocked. They're panicked. You're dead. But Jesus connects with his disciples at this point. He connects with them in a very, very human way. They think, he, they think he is a spirit or a ghost. But Jesus reaches out to them through their senses. Four of the five senses, Jesus touches his disciples. And the first of all is hearing this very phrase, peace be with you. This was a saying Jesus has used before. For example, John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. This is a phraseology that Jesus had been using with them. So it was words of Jesus that were familiar. And not only that, it was Jesus' voice. This was Jesus speaking to them in a familiar voice, something they could hear and understand. But he moves on. They're sitting there frightened. And Jesus says, why are you in trouble? Why are you all shaken up? This should be of no surprise to you. I spoke to you about these things. For example, Luke 9, 21, Jesus said, He strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed on the third day, be raised. And again, Luke 18, verses 31 and following. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and will shamefully and, and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. On the third day, he will rise. This is not new news, disciples. Why are you so frightened? But Jesus tenderly uses a second sense then and says, look at me. Look at me. And he shows them, shows them his hands and his feet. 
Why is hands and feet the marks of the crucifixion? Now, you Bible scholars might say, well, wait a minute. I thought Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and when we get our new bodies, you know, now we're, we're going to be perfect, and nothing, nothing can be wrong. Why does Jesus still have the wounds in his hands? Again, the scripture doesn't tell us, but I can say this. These are signs of victory, where man thinking they could put the Son of God to death on a wooden cross. He is alive. The same man who was put to death is alive because he's fully God and fully man. Jesus is real. This is no fabrication. This is not some look-alike person coming in and speaking to the disciples. No fabrication, no hallucination. This is Jesus Christ's real body. They can see his hands and his feet. But Jesus goes deeper. He not only asks them to see his hands and feet, he asks them to touch his body. Verse 39, see my hands and feet, that it is myself. Touch me and see. It, it, it was not that Jesus was, oh, don't touch me. No, touch. It's me. It's real. Flesh and bones, no phantom, no spirit. As one commentator puts it, psychosis has not created an account to fill an emotional hole. This is, this is not the disciples have written the Gospels and they, they miss Jesus so much, they just want him to be back. They just convince themselves he's back. No, this is a physical man. Look at the person next to you. I don't touch them, they might jump. But they're real human beings. Jesus Christ was alive. He had a body, just like you do. Risen from the dead. Pure and simple, this was Jesus. But one more, one more sense Jesus touches upon. Taste. Do you have any food? Well, the disciples had food, some broiled fish, a common food of the day. And Jesus said, may I have it? They handed it to him, and he eats it before him. Oh, well, there goes my Bible scholars off again. Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus is risen from the dead. He's a glorified body. Why is he eating? Oh, we're not told. But again, like the, hand, the marks in his hands, this is a sign to the disciples. He's a human being. He eats just like they do. Jesus is physically alive in front of them. Now, one person asked me, Pastor, why, why do you stress this so much? Because we can tend to look at Jesus being alive, sort of like Superman or some of the Marvel comic book characters, or, or, or Santa Claus. He's out there. His people will dress up like him. Yeah, there's a Santa Claus. No, this is Jesus in flesh and blood in front of his disciples, risen from the dead. Fully God, fully man. So why? Why does Jesus go to such lengths to convince these disciples it is him? Why does he show up to them physically in their presence? Well, he goes on and explains this, the reasons for the re resurrection. First of all, the message offered. This is picked up in verse 44. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus Christ showed up in that room, not because something went wrong. 
you know, sometimes you get ready for a trip and you get everything set and you have your schedule, your hotels and everything you're going. You get in the car, you drive down the road and get a flat tire. Worse yet, something goes wrong mechanically in the car. Or worse yet, somebody gets sick in the car. And suddenly everything's all messed up in your schedule. You have to rearrange, call the hotel, get the cancellation done, to change hotels, change trips, do this, do that. And, and just because something went wrong on the way. Some people, whoever they be, think that God is just covering bases. Jesus was not to die. He was to be there forever. But Jesus communicates clearly to his disciples, this was no accident. This was no error. This was planned, even written in the word of God. For example, Deuteronomy 18.15, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me among you from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Or Isaiah 53, verses 10 through 11. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him and put him to grief. And when his soul makes an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Or Psalm 22, my God, my God, why, has you why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from my words of my groaning? Or Psalm 16, verses 9 through 11, therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul in Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. All passages, and I could go on and on all the rest of the morning sharing passages from the Old Testament that spoke that Christ would rise from the dead, that his death was planned, it had a purpose. It was no accident. No accident at all. And the disciples needed to have this sink in, that this death had a purpose. And it was not the end of Jesus' ministry. It was the fulfillment of Christ's ministry. It was through his death that the price of our sins were paid. It was how a holy and righteous God could accept a sacrifice in our place that we could never offer. Even if we muster together all of our good works together and stack it on one person's life in this room, it would not be enough to cover that person's sin. We need a perfect sacrifice. And that was Jesus. He died. It was a sacrifice for our sin. And it was accepted. And how do we know it was accepted? Because he rose from the dead. Rose from the dead. The message offered. But minds opened. Verse 45. This is a big, big package to understand. And if you remember your own Christian walk, it was a big package for you to understand and believe that God would send his only son to die for our sins. Why? I mean, we have our own way of thinking how we would do it. I mean, let's just face it. We got around here and formed the committee today at the church. We all sat around and figured out how we're we going to save the world. We must like have some interesting plans. <laughs> but I can guarantee you this one thing. Not a single one of them would work. Because we're sinners. We're blinded by our own sin, our own desires, our own prejudice, our own habits, our own way of seeing the world. We need to see the world as God sees it. And this is what Jesus does. In verse 45, it says, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. 
took away their prejudices, took away their, their way of looking at things, and opened let them see the truth that was there. Uh, John, in the parallel passage, says he breathed on them the Spirit. Same idea, that he opened their minds to the truth. He clears it all away. This was something our Lord promised. In John 14, 26, prior to his death, he said, But the Helper of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring remembrance all I have said to you. 1 John chapter 5, 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, and his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. God opens our minds to understand the truth. It's like the light going on, to see. Think of it this way. I don't know how many of you like doing jigsaw puzzles. I remember when I was pastoring in my last church before I retired, it was, we met in a retirement community, and one room they had jigsaw puzzles. It was always fun to sit with the, the residents there and help them put together these massive, I mean, I'm not talking 100 or 150, I'm talking thousands of pieces. But think of a jigsaw puzzle this way. All the pieces are cut the same, and they can all interlock with each other. Okay. It's not that, you know, you have to get the right piece to fit it because you can't force in a wrong piece. No, they're all cut exactly the same so they all could fit together. And they're all spread over that table and you have to put it together. How do you do it? You can't discern and say, well, these two pieces don't fit because all the pieces sort of fit together. And what am I making? What am I looking at? And you see and look at the small pieces. Oh, there's flowers. It must be, it must be a flower garden. Or somebody might say, oh, it's flowers. It must be wallpaper. Uh, all the different ideas. But then somebody walks into the room and drops down the box that the puzzle came in. And there's the picture on top. And suddenly you realize what it is. It's a cart holding flowers. And suddenly it starts making sense. And you start getting the pieces. And you get the brown pieces. You put the, the wheels of the cart and the sides of the cart together and, and the flowers. And suddenly it makes sense. And this is exactly what Jesus does for the disciples and what he does for us. He opens our minds to see how it all fits together. We need to trust him. We need to get beyond our own prejudices and our own way of looking at things and let God's truth be the truth we follow. But why? Why this message? Why this coming of Christ? Why are minds open? Because there's a mandate ordered. Verses 46 through 48. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Why did Jesus come into this room and appear to his disciples? To tell them this is the message of hope. The message of salvation. That Christ came and suffered and rose again to defeat sin to deal with the guilt of our sin, to pay the price of our sin, that there will be forgiveness and repentance. In his name, beginning in Jerusalem, but then going to the utter ends of the earth. How could the disciples do this? Because they knew Jesus Christ was alive. Alive, not a spirit, but there in a the room with them. 
eating broiled fish. This is Jesus. He truly rose from the grave. This is the Jesus you and I know. It's not a spirit up in heaven, some, some, some feeling. No, this is Jesus Christ. Peter would later say this in Acts chapter 5 and verses 29 to 32. But Peter, when the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are, witness of this, we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Peter's saying, right out, we understand this because God has showed us the truth. This is why Jesus came. You just didn't nail some man to a cross to end a, move, end a movement. This is the one who came and paid the price for our sins, Jesus Christ, the God-man. And yes, you killed the man, but guess what? He rose from the dead. He's alive. We've seen him ourselves. So what are the ramifications of this? Let's wrap things up here. The ramifications of the resurrection. First, we have a living Savior. By living, I mean living. Jesus Christ has a body. And when he returns, he will come back in his body. He is the victor over death and the victor over sin. This is not some story. This is not some historical novel that you read about an event in the past, like something in, in, in a war or something uh, happening someplace. And, and, and it, it's sort of the life of Harry Truman. And they, they make you part of the story as you read through it. And, and it's just historical uh, fiction. No, this is truth. Jesus Christ lived in time and space. He, would, he was in a room like you're in this room with his disciples. He's alive in a physical body, identifiable by his disciples, using at least four of their five senses. This is no apparition, no dream, no, no psychosis. Jesus stood there in front of them. They could hear that voice they had heard for three and a half years. They could see the hands and feet. They could touch him. He ate in their presence. He's alive. And this fulfills scripture. This fulfills scripture. He was the one who defeated death. This is not like the res resurrection of Lazarus, who was dead and he walked out of the grave and they unwrapped his, his, his burial cloths and so forth, and the wrappings around him, because Lazarus would die again. Jesus will not die again. That's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's alive. Christian, he's alive. We, we, we don't go out and, and talk to people about a confession of faith. We don't go and talk to people about six steps to have a happier life. We don't talk to people about a platform, an agenda, a constitution. No, we talk to people about a person who defeated death. The God-man, Jesus Christ. Never forget that. He's alive. That's why we will live. He conquered death. And we will raise, be raised up on that last day as well. We have nothing to fear. We have a living Savior. Secondly, the gospel. This is the message that we bring. 
This is the message. Scripture has been fulfilled. God has sent a Savior into this world in this crazy, messed up world. And boy, have we had a messed up world. Where do you want to go? Head east, you have a war in Ukraine. Go south into Texas, Oklahoma. Her last nine films are multi-death shooting. Terrible things. Terrible, terrible. We hear, read about people being molested. We hear about people being hurt and people are suffering, people being oppressed. And those are the big news items. How about, how about you in your own life and sometimes the pressures you feel and, and the oppression you experience from family and friends, from unjust people? Christian, we have hope. We have one who defeated death. And we bring that message to a world that's desperately in need of it. Nothing else this world can deliver will stop it. We can outlaw guns and people will still hurt each other. We can lock up each other in our own little rooms and never come out and we'll just go crazy. We did that during COVID. No, you can be right with God. and Your sins can be forgiven through the one who rose from the dead, Jesus Christ. That's our message. We don't come, again, with, with an agenda, with some sort of, of, of a book you need to read, and this will make your life just go great. No, we come with a living Savior, Jesus Christ. A message the world needs. As we read this morning from Romans 8, verses 31 to 32, one of my favorite verses. What, shall then, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God gave us the most precious. God the Father gave the most precious possession he had, his son. Will he not give us everything else we need? Jesus rose from the dead. He went to a cross and died. We have hope in a living Savior. We should just stir our souls with joy and hope and message our world needs. And I encourage you to share it, live it, and be it. Which drives me to the third point. We are witnesses of this message. Just like the disciples, we are messengers. God never called us to be orators, great speakers. He just basically called us to be reporters telling the world what God did. That's what we're doing. Nothing more, nothing less. God sent his son into the world, and he defeated death on a cross. And he rose again, and he's alive. No other religion in the world has a message close to that. No other religion in the world talks about grace and God's mercy and love, where a payment is made on our behalf, not because of anything we have done or earned. We are witnesses of this Jesus. We know this living Jesus, this one who gave his life that we might have life, this one who came and died for our sins and forgave us our sins, as we confessed earlier in this service. This is the message we tell the world. They don't have to carry the guilt and shame. You're forgiven. You're forgiven of your sin. You can walk in faith and hope and joy, even in the midst of a crazy, wacky world we live in. And this goes, this is a message we need to share with others. And it's important to show them our love and acts of kindness and, and speak truth and live godly lives. Those are so important. But we need to tell them about Jesus is alive. And because he's alive, 
they can be alive if they trust in him and him alone. Is that your hope this morning? Is that what keeps you going day after day when you mess up, when you sin? Is that what keeps you going when things just don't turn out right? When you think this is just crazy? When you see too much pain around you, there's too much pain in your own life? We have a risen Savior who's alive, who gave his life that you might have life. Have joy in that, Christian. Have joy that our God loves you, cares for you, and provides for you a salvation. And if you're not a Christian this morning, I beseech you to take a serious look at this man, Jesus. The disciples did. <laughs> what more of a human response do you want to see in that upper room? These men saw Jesus alive again because he rose from the grave. He's fully God, fully man, and he paid the price for your sin. You can trust him. Put your faith in him. Believe in him and serve him. Let us pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for this message this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your word and, and, and just how you, you just come smashing into our lives and, and blow up all our plans, all our ideas, all our thoughts. We hold on to them with such tenaciousness, such pride, such foolishness sometimes. But your truth stands. You rose from the dead. You are alive. You defeated death. You paid the price for sin. We have a living Savior. To you be the glory, honor, and praise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for saving us, opening our eyes, giving us a salvation we don't deserve. Thank you, Lord. We're safe today, safe in the hand of Jesus. To you be the glory, honor, and praise for the work of your Spirit in our lives. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can visit our website at newcovenantopc.com. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. If you've benefited from this ministry and want to know of ways you can help or support it, we'd like to make you aware of our new capital campaign to build a new building. God has recently blessed us with growth here at New Covenant. Over the years, our church has been small. It's gone up and down, but overall things have been tight financially and the church has been small. Now, by the grace of God, we are growing. We believe it wise in light of this to think about building a new building to facilitate even more growth. Our current building only seats 72. We cannot fit any more seats, and if we were to fill every single one, every Lord's Day we would have no more than 72. The plans for our new building would more than double the capacity and enable us to grow to a point where we can be stable financially and even be able to help other churches. One of the things that we want to, to be is a church that is able to look beyond itself for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom of God. We believe that this new building can help us get there. And so we are praying that God would provide for us the funds needed to build a new building, that we would grow to fill it, and that one day we would even be able to plant a church ourselves. As you know, doing ministry here in the Bay Area, this is a very dark place. Uh, there is a great need for the light of the gospel to shine, particularly in this place, uh, through the preaching of the word. And so if you want to support us and to, to support our efforts to see this new building built, please consider giving a financial gift to this end. You can give by sending us a check with building fund in the memo line. Our address can be found on our website. You can also give by Zelle by sending the money to nc.opcssf.treasurer 
at gmail.com with building fund in the memo line. May God bless you with a greater knowledge of his word and zeal for his name.